This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. What you say? Just a friend. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Oi! Come and sing simple song freedom Sing it like you've never sung before Let it fill the air Tell the people everywhere We the people here don't want war Hey there, Mr. Black Man, can you hear me? I don't want your diamonds or your game I just want to be someone known to you as me And I will bet my life you want the same The great Bobby Darren singing a simple song of freedom. Still a such a beautiful song about more than 50 years after it was released. And uh, still so relevant when it look looks at uh, when you look at what's happening in terms of world affairs the situation in uh, Ukraine and elsewhere by the way if you're just tuning in this is Sid and Friends in the morning Sid Rosenberg is off for a well-deserved vacation this week he's going to be back in the year 2013 I'm Frank Morano here we're going to take your calls at 800-848-9222 but the issue of freedom gets talked about a lot in a racial context it gets talked a lot about in a political context but We don't necessarily talk about freedom when it comes to parenting and when it comes to our children. And one of the unfortunate trends that we've seen over the last 25, 30 years has been parents are getting less and less willing to give their children freedom. One of the people who has led the movement to fight back against that trend is one of my favorite people in the world, a gifted writer, an incredible person, someone that I find really inspirational. She is the founder of Free Range Kids and the president of Let Grow, a nonprofit that promotes childhood independence. It is a great, great deal of pleasure to welcome back Lenore Skenazy. Lenore, it's great to talk with you. How have you been? Um, I've been way, I'm like, I'm on a high from that intro. That was so lovely. Thank you so much, Frank. I'm well, great. Thank you. It's true. And, uh, and I hope you had a great holiday with uh, with your family as well. Hey, I want to talk with you a little bit about uh, some of the worst free-range parenting stories from the year 2022. And I know you're uh, going to work on a column in Reason.com about that. But I had to mm-hmm. ask you about your column in the New York Post on Sunday. Really interesting. Um, oh, yeah. The headline is Miracle Workers Meet the Local Teachers Using a Breakthrough Technique That Enables Severely Autistic Kids to Communicate for the First Time. Unfortunately, we've seen so many more children being diagnosed with autism, and a lot of parents wonder about, you know, how they can 
um, have something resembling a normal childhood for their children who may have autism. Tell us about this. What is this uh, breakthrough technique that allows autistic kids to communicate? Well, um, it, it sounded too good to be true. So let me say that to begin with, which is why I had to go and see it for myself. Um, it's something called spelling to communicate. And what it is, is kids with um, nonverbal autism, about 30% of people with autism can't actually speak or have very minimal speaking abilities. Um, and that's partly because, uh, you know, I know so little about autism. This is just what I've learned when I was writing this story. Um, but speaking um, requires small motor skills of the mouth, and writing requires fine motor skills of the hand. But if you're pointing with your whole arm, that's a gross motor skill. And that's what has been harnessed in this spelling to communicate technique that I saw. Um, so kids are taught to point to um, letters on what, it, what ends up basically being looking like a laminated placemat with the alphabet on it. And so you ask a question, and um, at first it's very hard for them to point, and the letters are huge, and then gradually they get smaller and they all fit on the placemat, um, you know. Uh, who, uh, you know, who is the president of the United States, and they can, you know, point to B-I-D-E-N. And then after a while of practicing this technique, which is hard, and it, I think it's hard for people with autism to, to see the whole letter board to begin with. It's hard to point, but eventually they get good. Some even get good enough to end up using a, a keyboard hmm. on their own, which obviously is the greatest gift ever. Um, but the kids I saw, one of them ended up using a keyboard. I, I visited a classroom with six um, kids with autism, and the rest were pointing to these letters. And I wanted to make sure that it wasn't the teacher holding on to the kid's hand and, you know, stabbing their finger to point right. to so these Right, the, the so-called Ouija board effect, yeah. Yes, because um, in the 90s, I think it was, there was, a, there was something called facilitated communication, which involved a teacher holding the hand of the kid, and it looked too easy to fake, and, and um, possibly it always was, or it sometimes was. I, I'm not an expert in that, but I can tell you that I, I really thought that this thing sounded too much like a breakthrough that everybody would hope for to believe, which is why I went and visited the classroom twice, and I took videos of it, um, because these are kids who, had, who were in their late teens, who everybody, their parents hadn't written them off, but they hadn't been able to say anything even as simple as, I hate, you know, I hate hamburgers. Stop giving me hamburgers or, um, you know, my knee hurts or whatever. And, and the kids I was speaking to, I watched them answer a lot of questions for quizzes. The teacher would read them a section about, you know, what is denitrification or how do the weather cycles work? And they would answer those questions. But I thought that could also be, I mean, that was fantastic. But it's also um, something, you know, maybe they're savants and they take in information and they give it right back to you like a computer as opposed to like a, a thinking, feeling person. Because what did I know? Um, but then I was there and I got to ask questions of this one boy uh, who's the son of the founder of the school. The school is called the Acton Academy of Eastern Long Island. It's in Riverhead. And I asked him, you know. Well, how did it feel before you could spell to communicate? Because he was 16 before he learned this. Now he's 18. And he, and he po points to the letters. And I'm watching and filming. And it's like, I felt alone, <laughs> you know. And what would you say to people who don't trust this mm. technique? Like me, sort of, to begin with, <laughs> before I saw it. And, and he said, uh, you know, I would ask them to trust our words. And, you know, that was pretty astounding. Sure. And, and the idea that inside of at least these kids, <laughs> the ones that I saw, 
uh, inside of these um, kids with autism, there's uh, a brain that is, you know, that has a hard time moving its body and has a hard time with the world, um, and yet is is thinking, seeing, feeling, and and locked in. <laughs> you know, that's like my biggest fear that someday I'll be paralyzed and I, you know, and nobody will know that I'm fine inside and I'm cracking jokes to myself and I can't get anything out. I mean, here we are. All we're doing is communicating. Imagine if, you know, I was this smart person and you were that smart person and nobody knew. And and we were stuck doing boring, stupid things like stringing beads our whole life because nobody had any idea that there was a, a, a mind um, working and thinking like ours in there, just unable to communicate. So that was it. I, I saw it. I've gotten some criticism already. Um, people who, you know, think that it does sound too good to be true. And I have to say, I was one of those. That's why, you know, if you go to the, to the story um, online with, with the New York Post, you can click on, you know, it says I made videos. of it. You click on that and then you see the videos that I made. And, and I took my husband and son along with me to, to make sure, I mean, it's, it's so counterintuitive mm. that I had to take, I'm like, and I watched my videos again and again yesterday because it is, I don't want to be fooled. I don't want to be a sap. Sure. I certainly don't want to, you know, help a, a, a charlatan, but, but it wasn't that. I mean, I, I saw it. I talked to the kids. It's, it's, it's maybe it's just those six kids <laughs> um, and some kids who wrote some books, but um it was real, and I was stunned. If people uh, haven't read the column, I've just linked to it on my Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash Fan. People can read it, and then, as you mentioned, there is a link uh, to the video. Let, last question about this, Lenore. There's going to be some people mm-hmm. listening to this that might be parents or grandparents of autistic mm-hmm. children that have a difficult time mm-hmm. communicating. If they mm-hmm. want their child to have access to a tool like this, is this school mm-hmm. on Long Island the only place that you're aware of that's offering something like this, or or is this or is this a resource that other parents can tap into even if they don't live out there on Eastern Long Island? Right. It was very hard for me to find a place that was teaching spelling to communicate. I kept asking on Facebook. I was asking on Twitter. Um, there are about 350 practitioners around the country. I don't know where they are. Um, I have a friend whose son is doing something like this in San Diego. There is a center for, um, I think it's the International Association for Spelling to Communicate, IASC, down in Virginia. Um, I, I think you look up the International Association for Spelling to Communicate and mm-hmm. try to find it, but it's not popular yet, and it is distrusted. And that's sure. why I don't, I don't like, you know, weirdly enough, I don't like being controversial. I don't want to be doing anything wrong or, you know, going out on a limb um, about something that might not work for everyone. I'm certain it doesn't work for everybody. Nothing works for everybody. Um, but uh, I really wanted to see it. And that Long Island school was the closest I could find. Wow. And I live in Queens um, to go see where it's happening. We're talking with Lenore Skenazy. Uh, you could check out some of her work with Free Range Kids at freerangekids.com. Lenore, if uh, people are unfamiliar with your work or they haven't heard mm-hmm. our previous conversations, you sort of catapulted. Shame on them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But you sort of catapulted to international notoriety when you let your nine-year-old son ride the subway by himself at nine years old. Now, a lot of our listeners who read the New York Post every day and see a different story on the front page about how terrible Mm -hmm. crime is, especially on the subway, they just look at this and yell, 
They can't believe that you would ever subject a child to the perils of the subway. Now, um, you were labeled by some the world's worst mom for this uh, endeavor. Um, How did your son manage to survive a trip on the subway by himself at nine years old? Well, Frank, I'm not sure where you are. If you're in the ABC studios, how did you survive (laughs) getting to and from work? Um, He survived the way about six million people do a day, which is just – getting on the subway, minding his own business, getting off the subway, and trudging up the stairs. You know, I worked at the Daily News myself for 14 years, so I'm familiar with tabloids. <laughs> Love the Daily News. Um, and, uh, you, know, our, you know, our mantra, if it bleeds, it leads, you know, tell people the worst story so that they'll be so shocked that they'll buy the paper. That's, you know, you got to make people buy the paper. But, of course, it's sort of like if you want to know, how 99.99% of the world lives or the city lives, you know, talk to a regular person. And if you want to know about how the 0.01% least fortunate have have spent their day, you know, pick up the daily news or pick up the post and you'll read the anomalies are what make make us interested, right? A kid waiting at the bus stop, getting on the bus and coming home at the day is not interested. A kid snatched from the bus stop will be a story for the next 40 or 50 years. Whenever we speak, I am deluged with, uh, I'd say, about 40 to 50 percent angry phone callers who are usually mm. over the age of 55 who always say the same thing. <laughs> they, they essentially say, you know, I used to do that. I used to ride the subway. I used to go to the playground and stay out until yeah. it was time to come home for dinner. I used to go to the ballpark by myself. But it was safe to do that back then. These days with crime out of control and getting worse all over the place. It's not safe to let a child do that anymore. I'm sure you've heard that criticism more times than I have. What is the response to that, Lenore? The response is I totally get it. It does feel scary. Um, I'm a reporter, as we discussed by trade. And as you know, I want to see for myself. And so I look up the crime statistics. And in fact, crime is up in New York City. Crime is up from when Izzy took the subway by himself. But it's still lower than it was in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. So, it, it, you know, it, we are bombarded with more media than ever. And the way the brain works is it asks, you know, is it safe to ride the subway? And up come the easiest to retrieve articles in our brain, right? The, the search results are, no, what about that lady who was, a, you know, what about the violinist who was shoved on the tracks? Or what about this person and that person? And what our brain can't focus on are what about the other six, million people who are taking the train at its peak and and fine and so we get you know normally when we ask our brain a question the search results are relevant you know i'm trying to find a cafe where i can go meet my friend this morning on the upper east side i'll google 86th street uh you know east side cafes and and it will come up with results that mean something but the way our brain works it's coming up with the easiest to retrieve worst stories that I've seen Mm. in over 55 years. Mm. And that is very scary. And so you get, um, you know, I don't blame people for being scared because that's the, that's the media diet. I'm part of the media diet. That's what people are fed, but you know, real life is thank God a lot more boring and a lot more safe than uh, the front page of the post or the daily news. 
Uh, Lenore, are things in terms of uh, acceptance of free range parenting, I see some states uh, passing laws that Mm -hmm. are basically codifying free range parenting and making clear that it's okay if uh, a parent is not hovering over their 15 year old 23 hours a day. But then Mm -hmm. I see stories like the ones that you've highlighted in 2022. And I'm trying to get a sense from your perspective, are things getting better or worse if you're on the side of free-range parenting? Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm always trying to figure that one out, too. Um, yes, we've had four states have passed what we call reasonable childhood independence laws, which say, you know, parents are allowed to make a decision about when their kids, you know, play outside, walk to school, stay home alone for a bit, as long as they aren't putting the kid in obvious, serious, and likely danger. So you might not want to send your eight-year-old, you know, to the park or your 10-year-old to the bodega to get the milk. But if I do and I'm not putting her in serious and likely danger, it's it's up to me. And so that was passed in Utah, Colorado, Texas, and Oklahoma. And now we're working in four more states, Michigan, Connecticut, Virginia, and Nebraska, trying to get that same law passed. And when it does, it will help the parents who are second-guessed by the government. Um, In my compilation of the worst, you know, let grow stories of 2022, uh, I I highlight a couple one one where a mom let her 14 year old babysit the four younger siblings because it was at the beginning of COVID and and just came out now there's a there's a motion being filed, which is why it's a 2022 story, but it was the beginning of COVID and um, the daycare center where the mom, you know, normally sends the youngest kids was closed because of COVID, but the mom still had to go to work. She has a 14-year-old daughter. She's responsible. She says, okay, will you watch the kids while I go? And and the the daughter says, sure. But, in fact, while the daughter is doing some of this online learning that everybody had to do, the four-year-old, and this is in a rural town in Georgia, wanders out of the house. There's there's no cars. There's nothing there. Goes to his buddy's house, which is like a house or two away. And the buddy's mom calls the cops. What an idiot. But she called the cops instead of just marching him over or letting him have a play date, giving him a peanut butter sandwich, and then marching him over. Um, and the, the police arrested the mom and they said they, that she put her kids in you know, or she recklessly endangered the kids. I don't think making a seat of the pants decision on a day when the daycare is closed and you have a 14 year old, even if the 14 year old isn't perfect, I think you're allowed to have life happen. Uh, but they said the kid could have been kidnapped or oh. run over by the non-existent cars or bitten by a venomous snake. <laughs> My favorite thing. And it only takes a few minutes. The kid was only gone for like 10 or 15 minutes. But in that time, just think of how many snakes could have, you know, uh, organized themselves and, and come and attacked him with all their venom. So so that was a crazy law. I mean, a crazy um, decision. And then there was a similar one where mom let her, uh, her, her eight-year-old was bothering the two younger kids in the car. They were half a mile from home. She made a decision that I think many of your listeners have made at some point. If you can't behave, you can walk the rest of the way home. And so he decided he would just walk the rest of the way home, half a mile. And somebody called because it's so unusual to see children doing anything on their own. We've forgotten they have legs. We've forgotten they have brains. Called to say, there's a child outside. And three cops speed over. This is in a suburb of Waco, Texas. And, um, And they come to the house. And they tell the mom, you know, what what did you do? And she said, well, you know, he was having a hard time in the car. I know Mm -hmm. he regulates himself when he walks home sometimes. And they said, well, you know, what if he had been kidnapped? What if he'd been sex trafficked? You know, and and the cop even said, there really isn't sex trafficking around here, but what if? And and she's like, well, I don't know. And he said, well, would you ever do this again? She said, "Um, maybe. (laughs) And that's when he said, well, I'm going to have to arrest you. Unbelievable. 
Yeah, handcuffs, off to jail, no shoes even. They said, they'll give you shoes in jail. They didn't give her shoes in jail. She was out the next day, um, but then she had to take a plea bargain because if she took this to court and she lost, she was facing a mandatory mandatory minimum of two years in jail. Oh, my. And For making a, an eight-year-old walk a, a couple of blocks? Half a mile, suburban Texas, in a place that he knew, and there's sidewalks and there's not much traffic. I mean, the thing about it is that Maybe that those cops would not do the same thing. Maybe they were going to wait till their kids were, as you said, you know, in their early 50s before they let them do anything on their own. And that's fine. But it shouldn't be up to the government to say, well, I wouldn't do it that way. It should be up to the government to to help kids who are in literal danger. If you know that a kid is literally in danger, not some danger you can imagine. You know, what if a giant eagle comes from the sky? What if there's a meteor? Uh, you know, what if there's a, you know, a, a cavalcade of white vans, each of them with a puppy in it? You can't just imagine danger and say, because you weren't imagining as much as me, you're a bad parent. You have to say, you have to prove that the kid was in serious, likely, obvious danger. And that kid was not, just like you and me walking home. It's just you're allowed to still be a child in public if your parent decides it's safe. All right, uh, Lenore, I'm getting the uh, the wrap up uh, signal enthusiastically <laughs> and quickly from uh, the folks uh, in the control room. Uh, these are all ten of these stories are at the are fascinating and horrifying, and I want to encourage people to uh, keep an eye out for it when it's uh, in published in Reason, and uh, I'll link to it on my Facebook page as well when it is published at uh, Facebook.com/slash MoranoFan. Lenore, it's always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining me. Happy New Year. Yeah, I I wish you a happy new year, and I'm I'm wrapping up. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Thank you, Lenore. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you could join me at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. If you had an accident, trust Gabo Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabo Law has recovered millions for their clients and they will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avvo and Facebook. Call Gabo Law today, 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email them at info at gabolaw.com. That's G-A-B-O-Law.com. Gabo Law, where winning is no accident.